Almighty pod me home. Religion, science, myths, and legends all point toward the next evolution in human consciousness. What do the invisible realms hold? Who's telling us and how do they know? We are investigating insights from around the world to answer the question, what does the material world arise out of and where do we go once we've dropped the body? You're about to go interdimensch with Robert Wallace and Adam Jeffrey to Undiscovered Spiritual Realities. Fallen Angel Technology. We're talking about the Book of Enoch today and all the naughty things those bad boys taught us. Necromancy. Bad. Spiritual science, reading for the dead, good. Then, you've got something in your teeth. Oh, never mind, it's just Aramon. <laughs> we'll discuss Christ as found in the world's religions. And we've got fixes for your pimples, acne, and other meta- metaphysical causes for illness. And finishing up on different kinds of meditation and the pros and cons of the New Age movement. Alright, welcome to Spiritual Realities. I'm Robert Wallace, this is Adam Jeffrey, and we got some interesting things on the docket today, uh, because as you just heard, we're talking from everything from fallen angels, to dead people, to Christ, to pimples. Everything's covered. (laughs) So, (laughs) let's get right down to the nitty gritty, because fallen angel technology, it's uh, not just for your uh, ancient forbidden uh, Facebook uh, feed of technologies <laughs> that have been recovered because it's actual thing. According to the book of Enoch, which exists in the Ethiopian Orthodox Bible, which by the way, has the largest canon. That means the most books of any Bible. Hmm. There's 88 books in that Bible. Wow. Uh, they have something called the book of Enoch. Uh, and that book contains the whole story of how the fallen angels came down, went into the daughters of men and begot these giants that we call the Nephilim found in Genesis 6-2. Right. When they died, those giants, their souls or their spirits rather became the evil spirits that now hover around the earth, according to the book of Enoch. Hmm. And I've read this book a couple times. I've never felt like I've been closer to approaching God in a reading than in this book. Really? The fact is it's, it's classified as part of the Jewish pseudopigrapha. Yeah, I don't know what to up with the word pig there, but that's that's a big it's word. Like yeah. Um, so they consider it kind of like <laughs> they say, "Is this book inspired? Is it not?" I say, "Read the book, and it will become quite self-evident that it's probably as inspired, if not seemingly more inspired, than some of our biblical books." Hmm. And it is quoted in the Book of Jude. Jude okay. Jude quotes the Book of Enoch. There you go. So let's get down to it. What is it that these fallen angels taught us? Well, I'm reading this out of a book called The Universal Bible, and it has all of the canons. And you guys should get into this if, if you're looking for, you know, the Gnostic and Apocryphal, or more of the Apocryphal books from the various world religions. The Universal Bible, That's edited cool. by uh, Joseph Lumpkin. Anyway, so here's what it says. Uh, this is from chapter 8, verse 1. And Azazel taught men to make swords, 
and knives and shields and breastplates and taught them about metals of the earth and the art of working them and bracelets and ornaments and the use of antimony and the beautifying of the eyelids and all kinds of precious stones and all coloring and dyes. Hmm. Two, and there was great empathy and they turned away from God and committed fornication and they were led astray and became corrupt in all their ways. Now, this is where it talks about the rest of the angels teaching their portions. Semjazah taught the casting of spells and root cuttings. Ar- Ar- uh, Armoros taught counter spells, uh, released from spells. Uh, Baraqual taught astrology. Kukabel taught the constellations. Ezekiel, uh, the knowledge of the clouds. Arakil, the signs of the earth. Shemziel, the signs of the sun, Serial, the course of the moon, and as man pe- uh, men perished, they cried, and their cry went up to heaven. So what this says later on, or probably before, that the angels taught them charms and spells, the cutting of roots, and made them acquainted with plants. Uh, also, I reread what I just said earlier. And the women became pregnant, and they bare large giants, whose height was 3,000 cubits, or L's our biblical uh, ancient historians. So the moral of the story is a lot of the stuff we take for granted, everything that we see from uh, Estee Lauder and all of these, you know, beautifying companies Mm -hmm. and all this vanity, uh, they're actually ideas that didn't originate in the dark hearts of men, but are part of the useless secrets of heaven, as the book of Enoch calls it, that the angels came down and taught to men, bringing about the tainting and destruction of uh, their morality. Interesting. The and beautifying I, of the eyelids. Yeah, that's a weird one to have kind of pointed out in one of the most ancient <laughs> books. Right, right. Your eyeshadow is a sin. <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah. Interesting. You, know, you thought you thought you came up with that. I'm going to have to start, stop using eyeshadow. Please do. You got rid of the hat? <laughs> Maybe if we can get a little less shadow, you'll look less sleepy. Uh, I'm just kidding. All right. So anyway, that basically hits on all I wanted to hit on as far as fallen angel technologies. It's very interesting. It's a lot of stuff you wouldn't think would have come from that origin. I didn't really give you much time to think about it because it is the thinker. You really have to think about it. So we're just going to move on to the next uh, subject at hand. And that's the uh, matter of necromancy. You all know what necromancy is. It's when you're talking to dead people and you need to stop it because you know it's wrong. But what if there was a form of talking to dead people which wasn't as bad as that? Well, according to Rudolf Steiner, there's only one kind of thing that a dead person can hear once they've crossed over. And there's only one kind of person they can hear it from. Hmm. And that information is spiritual scientific information. Spiritual science transcends the physical world. It doesn't pertain to the physical world, which... Physical world information is useless on that other side, which is why it doesn't convey. And the spiritual knowledge, which doesn't make a lot of sense to the you know, material mind here, actually makes all the more sense on that side. And the only kind of person who can convey that information are people who have known the person before they died. Hmm. So I can't just go look up Abraham Lincoln and start shooting them <laughs> how to know higher worlds. <laughs> Right. I need to go to grandpa. I need to go to my friends and people who've crossed over and they can they can hear it. Yeah. 
Um, so they had to know you or you had to know them both? We had to have a bond. We had to be connected while on the earth. Okay. That's what it says. So uh, right off the top of my head, I think it has to be symbiotically Gotcha. Known. Yeah. And um, when a person uh, is talking to somebody who's uh, crossed over, uh, these people on the other side, they see people walking around. If they didn't know them on earth, these people appear to have their head down. Their heads are down. They're kind of shuffling around, uh, around and past them. And that's actually another thing it reminds me of is when we begin to enter into the uh, in the spiritual plane, uh, if we're unconscious, for instance, we have spiritual bodies. It's kind of like Avatar. Like you, you know, you go interdimensional, you jump into this other body, yeah. and now you're in your astral body or what. When you jump out of it, you know, that body appears unconscious it appears sleeping to the people there so the person's heads down it's like a deactivated body basically hmm. depending on where you're inhabiting there's a there's a whole lot of reference in that movie uh, obviously that's a great movie yeah, yeah. avatar a lot of spiritual stuff going on there yeah lessons about reincarnation might be drawn from it you know what it's like to you know jump body to body and the, the aspect of consciousness right i love that movie that's a great one for sure yeah um, so anyway, there is a difference between doing that and, and just talking to the dead and trying to find out the secrets, which is a sin. So how mm. this is done, according to Steiner, is while you're reading your spiritual scientific literature, okay, uh, you're going to be thinking about the person that you're wanting to communicate with, specifically the feelings that you felt when they were standing right by you. So if you can smell their cologne or perfume, if you can remember you know, their temperament or the way they smiled and the happy feelings you had when they were around. Steiner also says it's helpful to have a sample of their handwriting. And all you're doing when you're reading the spiritual scientific information, which this is scriptural in its own way, it's, uh, but you're trying to get them information that's going to help them. So I think the first thing that people are thinking is, okay, why are we trying to talk to the dead? You know, is it going to help anything? Is it going to get us in trouble? And then when you learn there's a real purpose because they're on the other side and they have to piece together their their lives and everything they know based on the information they collected on Earth. And they're, they're going to hit their head on, you know, a ceiling eventually because they're going to run out of collected information. They're going to run out of explanations for their state. They're going to become interbulated, okay? Then they're going to have to schedule a new incarnation lessons to be learned they have to go about and collect that information but we can help people along uh, karmically through their incarnation cycles between lives by thinking of them while we're reading and then what happens is right before you drop off to sleep uh or right as you're dropping off to sleep all that you had thought and kind of sent that package that you built up for them earlier in the day that reading that's when it's drop shipped to them as hmm. soon as you go to sleep and then also upon awakening that's when we're the closest to communicating with dead people is it while we're falling asleep or while we're becoming awake? We're partially asleep in this realm, partially awake in that realm, and vice versa. That's where we can cross over. In a sense. Very interesting. All right. Awesome. Next. Um, I said earlier I saw something in your teeth, and I said, never mind, it's just Araman. <laughs> okay. Now Araman is not code for spinach. Araman is code for the devil. So according to Steiner... The bone structure of our bodies, including our teeth, are um, aramonically uh, powered. They come into manifestation by uh, 
uh, by the most part, by Ahriman's power. So Ahriman, a.k.a., and this is an ancient Arabic term, comes out of Zoroastrianism, uh, which is mystical uh, Persian religion, and it's the word for Satan. And it's also the force for material materialization, uh, materialism. So the material aspect of this dimension is pushed down, is brought into manifestation by Satan. That was his, his purpose, is to make this physical world come into being. And so we have a balance, uh, uh, according to Steiner and Theosophy, between Lucifer and Satan. And Lucifer's working on the inside. Satan, as materialism, is working on the outside. So Lucifer works as the ego on the inside, and, Lu and Satan works as atheistic materialism on the outside. And the Christ is right in between. We have to walk in this dimension of materiality without getting sucked up into Satanism. Mm. And we also need to have our individu uh, individuation as individual egos and, and beings uh, that are rising up that is brought to us by the light bearer, Lucifer, without becoming, you know, straight up Luciferians. Mm. And so Christ is bringing those together and bringing that balance. In the world, but not of the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think this is a, a good segue into the next subject because uh, we were going to talk, uh, we said we were going to talk about it this week, last week when we talked, and it's Christ in the world religions. People think, uh, well, you can only find Christ in the Bible, but in fact, you can find the Christ or the Logos in all of the world religions. Hmm. And if you're having a coronary right now because I said that, then the next few minutes may not be for you. Um, uh, so we were talking last week about Krishna, and you're yeah. talking about the etymology of the word Krishna. Right. And coming out of a, a Christus. Yeah. And if that might sound familiar to those of you who are familiar with a Christos, there might be some relation there. Consider it. For sure. We've also talked about in times past about... You know, they say, well, there's only one way to, uh, only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. And I think that's pretty agreeable, considering Jesus is the Logos. But I think that the trick here is that there's many ways to Jesus. Right. So we think there's only one way to Jesus, and that's through the Bible. And so if you don't have the Bible, you can't get to God. Well, in fact, the Logos has been mentioned in world religions since time immemorial. Our religions since before the Bible, even the Jewish people. So this is a universal principality we're talking about. And as soon as we start to narrow it down to our individuated denominational preferences, we're letting our prejudices use religion as an enemy of the people uh, instead mm. of as a tool for spiritual development. Right. What do you think about that? Adam here is a biblical scholar. He's written 15 books. <laughs> He's got an honorary degree from Yale. What do you think? None of that's true. None of it's true. But <laughs> I agree strongly. And, you know, the, the, more, the more I live, the more I agree with it. You know, having gotten a degree, that's, that's the one bit of truth in, in everything that Robert just said. <laughs> having obtained a degree in theology, one of the things I learned was how much I didn't know. Um, and, and that just, um, made me think, man, it, it just, when we're reading the Bible, if we limit all truth to just this Bible, I think we're limiting and boxing the truth. The truth is bigger than that. Last week we talked about Jesus said the truth will set you free. And I don't think that it's exclusive to that book. You know, a lot of people claim the exclusivity through the phrase you just said, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. But of course, he's the embodiment of the Christ. And the Christ is not his name, it's his title. Mm-hmm. And so... Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ. The name. Christos. The, yeah. Yeah, and you can take that back to the etymology, Krishna. Uh, and, and again, you know, the Hindu religion, spirituality, they teach that this is an avatar of God. Krishna is an avatar of God. And there's that word again, avatar, back to the movie. Yeah. But, you know, um, an embodiment of God. Eh? So, so I go... The Christ is present in, in all of these spiritualities, I, I believe. I've come to believe that. Mm-hmm. I didn't used to believe that. Right. But Jesus says the truth will set you free. You know, And it's like freedom comes in discovering the Christ wherever the Christ is present, I think. Yes. Which is everywhere. We can claim truth everywhere, even, even in places that aren't deemed a religion or a spirituality. I mean, I mean you can, can stumble upon universal truth. Oh, absolutely. Of course it does. Yeah, yeah, of course it does. And 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 just observing nature, you know, and the the way the transcendentalists would, you know, go out into the woods and, you know, spend time, you know, Thoreau and and Emerson and people like that, they were discovering God in nature. Yeah. And and the Bible says that, you know, I think it's in what is it in Romans where Paul's talking about God has always been evident. Yeah. Before the written word, you, you know, can see so trees grow and you know there's a God. Right. Yeah. You know, exactly. Self-evident just by looking around. If you use common sense. And... Correct. Yeah. And you know, an, another thing that's worth pointing out because you know I, I very firmly believe in the Bible and that it's you know the inspired word of God and everything. But I think when people hear us talk about things like there being other books inspired by God or that there's, again, like we keep talking about, you know, there's not enough room in the world for all to write all the books of all the miracles Jesus did. Absolutely. I think it's worth pointing out, though, too, that this is an ancient book. People back then breathed a different kind of air. Mm-hmm. They had a different kind of intuition. They had a different kind of uh, what might be called atavistic or ancient clairvoyance. They operated in a different way. Uh, for the last you know, few thousand years, we've been losing that intuition and we've been growing in intellectualism and, and rationality. And so we're operating out of a different mind frame. So when we're trying to read these old books and we're thinking, oh, you know, they're operating very you know, superficially or very simplistically or whatever because they're not using the same scientific language or because they're talking about it, it's really because they were closer to the spirit. And so it's not that they didn't know, uh, and it's not even that these verses, uh, a lot of people find, you know, the Bible, you know, dry or whatever, but from our frame of reference, yeah, this information doesn't really compute. So we have to take in, you know, new information that puts us in the frame of mind of the people who are writing it. Yeah. As we develop and we maybe go down the route of theosophy or esotericism or mysticism or whatever mm-hmm. and we hear modern or relatively modern speakers people in the last 100 200 years who are connected to the spirit explaining what these things mean we can uh come into better relation you know the enoch uh the eunuch said to nathan or whoever it was he was wanted to baptize them and he said well how can i read and understand the scriptures unless somebody teaches them to me and there's also the verse that says that, you know, prophecy uh, is of no private interpretation. Hmm. So, I mean, there is a place to to learn the context of this stuff. But at the same time, once, you know, that's been made clear, it's self-evident what it says. So I think we got a little bit of contradictory advice, but it's hmm. both true. 
You know, what, one thing that I, I find helpful in my journey is to think of the Bible as a map. Because what, what we want is experience. You know, Jesus said that there will be many that come to him in that day, in the, the day of judgment, the, the end of times. And they'll say, Lord, Lord, we did this, this, and this, you know, and he says, but I never knew you. And, and so Jesus was always getting at the idea that God should be experienced, not just known about. It's not just this over-intellectualizing of, you know, knowing the Bible. Well, you know, if, if you think of the Bible kind of like a map, then it's, the, the map is necessary to get you to the experience. But the experience is really what you're after. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think about like if I have a map and I, and I want to go um, to Yosemite National Park, you know, the experience is going to happen when I get to Yosemite. The map helps me get there, mm-hmm. but the experience is what we're after. So I think that um, I think it's dangerous for people to get stuck in the map. Yes, exactly. And not ever get to the experience. You know, oh, I've memorized every single verse of the Bible. What good is that if you don't get in the car or get on the bike or get on your feet and go yeah. to Yosemite and yeah. go and have the experience? What good is knowing the map if you never go? Their heart, their their lips, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Right. And uh, I think that's, you know, really key because in all of whether you're you're looking in the Eastern tradition or, or Western, uh, it's ultimately coming down to learning this information, learning how to meditate, learning how to be still and know I am God. And in that process, right. you right. need to take all of this information from your Bible or your religious traditions, and then you need to somehow forget it all at the same time. Hmm. It's setting you up to point you in a certain trajectory, and then you need to completely forget it and put your eye on the silent stillness. Mm-hmm. Because going back and even thinking about even, you know, you know, intellectually, the biblical things, I mean, this is putting words back into your mind, and that's putting separation between you and the spiritual world. Because yeah. the words of the flesh of all this belong to this world. So <laughs> it's a tool to get us closer, but yeah, like you said, it can become a stumbling block if right. you're making your religion the text instead of what the religion, the text is pointing to. Absolutely. Something that um, I think needs to get discussed today, and, and this is, I'm calling out to everybody out there with a pimple on your face right now, okay? <laughs> you got a pimple, you got a little acne running down the back, you got a little something like that going on. I'm going to break out a new alternative course of potential healing for you. Hmm. I'm featuring Louise. Hayes uh, book, Heal Your Body A to Z. So she's got a documentary. I think it's on Netflix. I know it's on YouTube. It's called Heal Your Life. And Heal Your uh, Heal Your Body A to Z, or Heal Your Life, I think was the original book. Um, that's been out since like the 70s. And I'm looking at kind of a concise portion of the listing of the diseases or the conditions, and then the mental causes for the physical illness and how to heal them. So according to metaphysicians, Louise Hay and others, every single kind of condition has a specific thought process that caused it. Mm. If we can narrow it down, figure out which one it is using something like this, then we can change the thought pattern and the disease can go away. That's the idea behind that. By the way, I'm not a doctor. Consult your doctor before you do it. Okay. So for... <laughs> disclaimer. Disclaimer. I love, love how you throw that in there. You know, I'm not a doctor, blah, 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 move on. All that right. shouldn't suffice. <laughs> that should stand up in a court of law. Yeah, there you go. Okay, they, they, they know where I was going with that. Uh, so acne uh, is the probable cause, not accepting the self, dislike of the self. Hmm. 
And I think this would make a lot of sense to a lot of people because you're going through puberty, you're going through school, and what is the primary emotion you're feeling? Insufficient. You're not right. adding up. You're not as hot as the hottest girl or guy in school. You're not as popular. You know, it's a dog-eat-dog thing. And everybody is really just self-consciously looking out for themselves, trying to compete in this battle that nobody's taking, keeping score on to begin with. Yeah. And yet... That's enough to drive the average 13, 14-year-old, 15, 16-year-old into feeling bad about themselves. And so they start to get acne. It's pretty common. Hmm. Okay, I just... Uh, uh, so acne, not accepting the self, disliking the self. So the new thought pattern is, I am a divine expression of life. I love and accept myself where I am right now. It's vital that you accept that you are a divine expression of life. And that you love and accept yourself where you are right now. And any rules and, and obstacles to that belief uh, are standing between you and good health. You and godly thought. You and a pimple-free life. You and just being mature. Because as you mature, you, you stop thinking like that. And you stop really caring about superficialities. And you operate on a deeper level. So mm -hmm. expedite your healing that way. Now, here's the thing about acne and pimples. They're different. Pimples actually come about... Uh, as a result of small outbursts of anger. Hmm. So, and a lot of times I notice whether they're voiced or not. If I'm just sitting here and I'm angry because Adam stepped on my foot and I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm at a place because I have been for many years cultivating my ability to sense my thoughts and my feelings. And I can actually feel the sensations or pimples coming into my body. And if you're not at that place, Look, you can, if you pay attention to your thoughts and feelings long enough and hard enough, even while a single pimple is being created, you can feel the singe and the burn on your skin. And you can look back at it hours later and you'll see that there's a pimple there. Hmm. It's like stigmata of the pimple. Stig pimple out Stig pimple Anyway. You know, that, that all makes a whole lot of sense. It, it comes back to the idea that, um, that, what we experience in the spiritual realm manifests in the physical and the material. Um, and I think that's true of all, all kinds of health issues, but uh, it just, it just makes perfect sense really. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, every unique kind of thought aberration, having a unique sort of disease. There's a right. billion diseases and guess what? There's a billion ways you can think a wrong thought. Right. Hello, light bulb. And then right. pimples, Small outburst of anger, the new thought pattern is, I calm my thoughts and I am serene. Hmm. So while, you know, and the thing is, if you if you touch the pimple, if you touch the pain or the ailment, and you kind of hold down and clear your mind, and you wait for what arises, you may find that the, the thoughts that cause the pain will re-arise in your mind. And if you can adjust those thoughts or bend them towards right thinking, you'll begin your healing. If you reinforce the negative thoughts that are spewing out of you that are living in you and and, and, and fermenting into this, and you're just going to make it worse or bring back your, your condition. Mm. Finally, the other thing I want to say about this book and Louise Hay, she had a vaginal cancer. She was a metaphysician uh, and she was teaching this information. And then all of a sudden this cancer manifested. She was sexually abused as a young woman by her neighbors and family and things. And so as she puts it in the documentary, where else would she put all that pain and suffering and trauma? Mm. And so that's why this happened. So she's like, now it's time. The universe is telling me I need to practice what I preach and I need to confront 
this cancer. So she went through therapy and things like that. And to really get at the pain of the hurt of the memories, to come to forgive these people, to forgive the people who did, you know, wrong to her. And in that process, within three months, she completely cured her cancer. It went wow. away without wow. radiation, chemotherapy, whole nine yards. Right. And uh, in that documentary, Heal Your Bi- uh, You Can Heal Your Life, um, there's a lot of cancer survivors of different kinds of breast cancer, different kinds that all come out, testify, look, I did the affirmations, I affirmed the negative thoughts out, and look, my condition went away. You know, doctors are astounded. So Amazing. If you've tried everything, why not try going to the root of the problem hmm. and finding the thoughts that are responsible for your ailments? It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah, I, I think about, too, um, the placebo. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that people, you know, it, th- this is a scientifically proven and psychologically proven thing that the placebo is effective, it, that it actually helps people. You know, the, the, the idea of mind over matter. When people think that something is healing them, it's healing. they As believe it, they internalize it, and it helps to heal them. It, it, you see it over and over again. I, I even heard that there was one study... Um, where a woman believed that she was being given chemotherapy, then they weren't. They were experimenting with a placebo effect, and her her hair fell out. Wow, that's yeah. great. So it had the reverse. It didn't actually heal her. It caused the <laughs> damaging <it> effect. <laughs> yes. Of of the chemo. You know, so. it's funny about that. I mean, that's not funny. I was saying that. Um, wait, what was it? Ironic, called? perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's ironic about that is people will say things like. Oh, well, that just shows how gullible people are. That yeah. just shows how prone people are to their own imaginations, you know, mm-hmm. the placebo effect. And, 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 you know, people who believe anything. But the Bible tells us that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is right, he. Right, right. It, it, you know, pointing it out as a weakness, you know, just like we were talking about, every weakness is a strength. Yeah. There's a reason why being gullible is a weakness, especially to believers. Mm-hmm. It's because... You know, faith in the universal workings of the body and of the mind, that is what you think about, is what you bring about, is like inborn in these people. They think out of that paradigm. Wow. And and we all do. And if we're, you know, just because we don't believe in it doesn't mean, you know, we're not cursing ourselves every time we say, ah, I'm a loser. I have to screw up every time or whatever we're saying. Right, right. You know, and, and the same other side of the coin, you know, there's people with like massive egos who are like, I win all the time. And would you know it? They win all the time. Right. So it's not <laughs> that they're like better people or they're luckier, you know, it's that they're affirming the good things that yeah. they, they want in their life, you know? Yeah. You know, ask and you shall receive as a man thinketh in his heart. So is he out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, you know, why are negative thoughts coming out of you? Because you've been putting negative thoughts in for years. Right. And yes, you can turn that ship around. It takes effort, you know, because you got a lot of velocity. So you might be hearing negative thoughts for, you know, a few weeks, months, years. But once you get going, it gets easier and easier than ever. Like, if I got a negative thought, I know how to smack that thing down quick. Yeah. I got three Bible verses. I got a little bit of logic for it. I got a little bit of science for it. Okay. (laughs) Because I need this kind of like, you know, reinforcement structure because you can get convinced by something that just seems accurate. Right. Like these people are acting that way. Maybe that is true, what I'm thinking about myself. Hmm. It's like, no, that's an abominable lie from the devil, you know? Exactly. Not congruent with my beliefs. And that enough is enough for me to justify walking away from it. Yeah. So if we can't justify walking away with it, then we'll just like sit in the feeling and be like, ugh, pity party. 
and then we feed it and it grows and it keeps coming back. It's one of our pets that just Correct. stands by. <laughs> I've been using that one, Robert. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> that, that and the pushing the ladders away, which is one I've worked with for yeah, a long time. I yeah. like that one. You shared that one. You just those. don't even let them get in there. You visualize, you know, that this liar is climbing the ladder into your mind. Push it away. Don't even let him in. Yeah. Hurt his back when he falls, but. Yeah, it's true. Better his back than yours. But that's, that's karma, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. We were going to talk about last week, changing subjects here, changing gears. We were going to talk about the pros and cons of the New Age movement. We even did a really creepy intro where we said, The, the New, New Age, Age movement. movement. Well, that never ended up happening, but today we're going to do it. <laughs> okay. Cool. I feel like tearing this issue apart because there are pros and cons to the New Age movement. There are things that I absolutely love about it that I used to dislike about it, and there's things even now that I dislike about it uh, that... I don't think are useful. So let's talk about that. Cool. So on the pro side, you know, the new age movement has come out of uh, this kind of awakening of consciousness. At least that's how the community puts it. You know, we're in a different epoch, a different age, we got different constellations above us. You know, we've learned a lot from our forefathers or whatever. And so it's really about universalizing everybody. We are all one. The God mm -hmm. is in all of us, all, you know, evolve, you know, everybody, all the religions into one, you know, sort of. Yeah. This is the New Age movement. We're bringing in spiritual science, uh, theosophy, and then it also, you know, it goes off into, you know, fairies and whimsical things, and it goes off into these indigo children and things like this and that I don't quite understand, uh, but they are part of a growing spirituality. It's a spiritual movement that's happening. Yeah. On the negative side, I think that sometimes the New Agers, uh, there's a tendency to look down on conservative religious people, conservative Christians, or just religious people in general, Yeah, because they're like, well, we're spiritual and you're religious. We're right. free and you're right. bound. And the reality is that, you know, we're approaching our religions from different places. Yeah. If our hearts are all in on it, you know, God's watching the intentions of the heart. Um. And while there's a lot of truths in the New Age movement, I think it's also, again, another excuse for prejudices for a lot of people. Absolutely. And, and I think that, um, I, I know for me personally, in my experience, this has been my point of struggle in my growth. And I recognize it as that. I, I know that when I start to think that way, I'm wrong, and I start to push those ladders away. But it's definitely one of my struggles. And I, and I know that it's because I carry negativity from getting burnt Mm -hmm. in those places so i carry i've got some baggage that i'm having to let go of and i know other people that are the same way i know some people that that they just man they don't want anything to do with any of it now because they got so burnt and so you know they're they're especially negative toward conservative approaches toward mm -hmm. um dogmaticism and and religiosity and that kind of thing and so we have to i think we have to keep our guard up and know that that's still negative thinking and that it's still uh, incorrect thinking and to push those ladders away and not let that grow in us too. Amen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. For, for sure. And, and one thing that helps me is, is empathy. Um, you know, I, I go back and I go, man, I, I was in that box and I was really strong in that box. I believed so strong in it that, you know, I thought I was right and everybody else was wrong. Um, and I, and I draw some empathy from that and, and, and all the, beautiful people that I knew that are still in those boxes, still practicing 
and, and, and I know that their heart, a lot of these people, their true heart is to get closer to God. Mm-hmm. They believe this is the path to God. And I go, okay, well, that's beautiful. If you're finding God in that box, you know, I don't necessarily agree with the way that you think about everything, you know, the way that you might label others. And, um, and you know, along them lines, because, you know, I grew up, you know, Catholic and then I was Baptist and then I went off in the, with the Pentecostals before I came Seventh-day Adventist and then... And then eventually I got into Buddhism and a lot of the New Age stuff and right. worked at the Church of Scientology and became a Freemason and all this other kind of stuff. So going through those steps, you see people of varying degrees of, of dog, dogmatism or or whatever. And But then you go through and, and you hear the scriptures and, and it's like, okay, well, we can't say that the scriptures aren't full of holy truth, holy teachings, that the book of Proverbs isn't amazing. The believers, you know, maybe, you know, leave something to be wanted. You know, I don't want to go to a church full of hypocrites. Well, the thing is, churches are for sinners. Churches are full right. of sinners. Jesus came to save the lost. So go to churches expecting to find hypocrites, not unlike ourselves. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's such a good point. You know, the thing is, I think that one of the reasons that so many people find it so appalling, their particular sin is believing that they are right, I think, that, that that becomes particularly appalling to a lot of people because this the sin that they are clinging to is this idea that they're right, everybody else is wrong, they're all going to hell because they don't believe the same thing that they do. Um, so that, that sin looks particularly appalling, and it's interesting, the irony, because here they are sitting on their perch looking at everybody else's sin while the world that they are convinced are all sinners are looking at their sin, and they might not even identify it as sin, but they they look at that religiosity, as they might call it, or whatever, fundamentalism, and they go, that that looks particularly appalling to them. And in which it's it's interesting because what we're really seeing is people judging each other based on their sin being different. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Great point. I, I just think that that exists yeah. everywhere. It, it is yeah. hypocrisy all over the place, and we all have to be realistic with it, you know, and, and identify it in ourselves Yeah. so that we can eliminate it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a valuable point because the truth is, you know, whether you are a, a Christian of whatever denomination or whatever religion or you're a New Ager, the thing that's consistent about all of them is we need to do unto others as we'd have them do unto ourselves. Absolutely. And if we master that wherever we're at, whatever religion that we find ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. sold into right at this moment, if we master that where we're at, we're going to have a really good religious outcome. Absolutely. Regardless if we never became a New Ager, regardless if we did become a New Ager. Mm-hmm. Problem is... You know, we add these, uh, we go into these different uh, categories, these different denominations, and we make ourselves more about the dogmas than about the foundation of the whole thing, which is being kind to one another. Just that simple. Yeah. And so, um, as a result, we... um, we forget, like, especially like, you know, I grew up and, you know, Catholicism and all this stuff. And then you might think, oh, I was seated in a small pot. Then I was transplanted later on hmm. when I found a bigger ocean of belief. I put yeah. myself into that once I took my religion upon myself. Because when you're young, your parents take you, your grandparents take you. You don't know anything about it. They choose it for you. Yeah. And then once you start assuming it onto yourself, start thinking with it, then you start to find things which resonate with you. And then, you know, you move into different planes and of course the temptation is to look with disdain back at your youth but the bible says don't let anyone you know despise you for your youth right you know don't let you know don't not only don't judge people because they're early on in their development 
but don't like look down on people who are what you just came through. Absolutely. How do you think you got where you're at? You need to appreciate the things you had to learn and, and process to get to where you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can't really shortcut. There's people who are far advanced in spirituality, and they look nothing like what we see in the churches. Right. And they say something like, well, until you take the kind of journey I took, you know, all this will be foreign to you, you know? Yeah. And so it's kind of like as you're on your own journey, you start to see things more and more differently. But if all you're doing is just going to church and rehashing and repeating the same old things every week, and you don't want to take any new content in, you know, this incarnation really might be about just a, a simple, you know, religious experience in the world. And But if you want to explore spirituality, you need to be open to different kinds of beliefs and realize and look for the Christ. Don't let go of your Christian beliefs. I, I Sometimes I see that people will, yeah. oh, well, I used to be a Christian. Now I don't focus on Jesus. He was a man. Now I'm just into the spirit of God, which is everything. And I'm thinking, you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Absolutely. How are you going to, just because now you want to follow this other path, you're going to get rid of Christ? That's completely unnecessary. Right. You can definitely you can hold on to all your beliefs and look for them step by step. And that's how I moved around religion to religion. Yeah. As I look for the next religion, which believed everything I did plus this. Yeah. Everything I believed minus this, because this church, oh, I changed my belief. So it's finding things which were just slight alterations from where I was at. Right. I wasn't trying to make 180 turns every single time. That's and, that's really beautiful. I like that you used the analogy of not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Because that's what I feel like the Christ is. Like we keep coming back to, you can find the Christ in all of these different paths. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, why throw the baby out with the bathwater? Find, you know, find the truer truth. Yeah. The truth that sets you free. If you feel like you're in a box right now, well, that that means that there's truer truth. Mm-hmm. Break out of that box, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Exactly right. Now that you mentioned that, it's like, you know, the water is infused with the baby. The baby's Christ. The yeah. water is is the teachings, is the writing. Yeah. And they're talking about the Christ. They're full of that. Yeah. And you say, well, I want a new batch of water. I want a new story. Well, that baby is going to be right back in there. It's going to infuse itself in a different way with a, you know... I say a different stank, it's a dirty baby, but it's a different, you know, it's a different time. <laughs> so the Christ is going to reveal itself in a different way. So you're going to have a different kind of scripture. And you can throw right. that out again too. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, you need to warm up to one of these bathwaters because yeah. the Christ is in the bathwater. There you go. Did I take that too far? Did I take the whole analogy too far? No, I actually like it. Okay. I, I like the idea of, of water itself, though. You know, I mean, you, this oh. is a big thing we're into here now. Starting a new religion. Here we go. I mean, we, you know, water itself. If you keep putting it in in different bottles and, and labeling those bottles mm. different names, you know, here's this brand of water over here, and here's this brand. Well, it's still water. And that's not even account the fact that if even they're all the same essence. But if you think in terms of, uh, have you seen the messages in water? This whole right. study of yes. like the alchemy of whatever label you put on the water or image you show it or the words intentions you put into it, it changes the frequency. So you can mm-hmm. take a, a, a bit of the good old religion and you can give it a new name and you can put your own spin on it. And you're not just going to get the old thing better. You're going to get a whole new flavor. You're going to get a whole new community out of that right. type of person, temperament, kind of people who are drawn to it. But it's still water. It's still water with your new label, new frequency on it. <laughs> so, yeah, I want to go to the manufacturer of the water. I want to find out where he gets his parts. There you go. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Okay. Yes. How much time do we got? Ten minutes. Cool. We got uh, Greg over here on the board. 
any insight into the spiritual world? I don't know. I'm very disconnected with it myself. I don't, I'm just not very, um, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time focusing on it in my, in my, uh, my personal time. Cause I just don't have a lot of time. Yeah. I work a lot. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have a lot of time to kind of, I used to do a lot of meditation uh, and I, I still do some uh, yoga, which I know is kind of Yoga's good, depending, yeah. but yeah. I don't get to spend as much time doing any of that stuff as I'd like to, just cause I just flat out don't have the time. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that's the, the case for most people. And it's one of the oldest things you hear is people say, when I retire, when I'm done working, when I've provided for my family, then I'll be in a position to study. Now, with Greg, it might be different. We No, I would agree with that. Like that, That's a common phrase around my house is, you know, it's someday I will be able to do this, and someday we'll be able to. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of Sundays being thrown around at my yeah. house. It's mm-hmm. like it's like a, considered a project of luxury for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. People with money, they got the time to kick up their feet during the day and study and things like that. It's true. I actually read recently it said that scholars need a much leisure time to themselves to study. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, time is required to study and things like that. I think, uh, you know, for me, it was easier for me to, like, force feed it to myself through audiobooks through the day and things like that, simply yeah. because I came into this with a disposition toward it. Like, yeah. spiritually, okay, uh, numerologically, astrologically, like, I'm predispositioned toward this. And yeah. I, sometimes I have to remember that because for what seems like common sense to me, like, whoa, like, can you guys not believe this, this is going to change the world? For the people is like, eh, because to them, you know, they've heard it before. The significance doesn't ring true because we're all in different, you know, places. Right. And, you know, in one incarnation, maybe I was in the sports. Another one I was into banking, you know. Mm-hmm. Then again, I don't know. Steiner does talk about that our incarnations are basically the same incarnation, incarnation with a huge difference and that nothing in the world is the same. So let's say you were a banker. I think we talked about this in episode one. Mm-hmm. Even if you were a banker in Europe and you died, you may come back as a banker in the United States. Hmm. And you'll kind of live out the same sort of uh, rhythms and patterns, same sort of relationships with different people in a different way so that you really master these issues in your life or whatever. But um, as far as uh, you know, not everybody being completely interested in spirituality, if any of you are interested in spirituality, I think my suggestion would be just find audiobooks of something you're remotely interested in and you know play it in your car like you would anything background you know and then absorb it that way yeah because reading is hard this day and age we don't realize we don't our education system didn't prepare us for every book in the language and as soon as you hit words that you don't understand at least per Scientology and it's true Hmm. you black out like you forget the whole page you just read yeah, you get bored. You're yawning. You know, you're forgetting. You didn't retain anything. Right. And so sometimes just having somebody who's reading it will help you blast through the subject, get through it, and you'll get a good takeaway. I think that's a great idea. I pick up stuff off audiobooks, podcasting, and stuff like that way better than I do actually reading it anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It used to be the opposite when I was younger. I had to actually physically read something to pick it up, but I, I, um, absorb it. Absorb it. That's the word I was looking for. Goodness. <laughs> absorb it a lot better hearing it instead of reading it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've literally gone through like, I don't know, tons of Steiner books. Yeah. Listening. Listening. Yeah. And I go through them multiple times, but that's not a feat I would have been able to accomplish reading per se. Right. Right. 
because I would get stuck and hung up on one verse and I would overthink it. And before you know it, I would never progress past the sentence and I'd be on another book, never finish the book. And so this allows you to really just think while it's being told to you. Yeah. I think it's part of why podcasts, Greg mentioned podcasts, they're yeah. so appealing to people, right? And they're so popular, so many podcasts out there. And I think people are drawn to it because. You can listen while you go. People in, in our society are multitasking. There's a lot going on. We've got a lot to do. You know, and it, but but one thing that I find for me is that um, you know, we we are really busy people, my family and I, we got a lot going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um I've figured out a way to that over the years I've cultivated the ability to meditate kind of anytime and anywhere. And I hear other people talking about this too. Per- perfect segue into the next subject. Oh yeah, they do that since time's short. We're going to talk about different kinds of meditation. Tell us about your... Yeah, so I I think that, you know, we we get the idea in our head that we have to go to some place. And I'm not saying that is definitely useful. It's good to go to a quiet, maybe dark place um, and do some meditating. But if you can't, I think that you can also practice meditating anytime, anywhere. Mm -hmm. You're in your car driving down the road. Take some deep breaths and focus on those breaths and be conscious. You know, it's, it's... it's simply, for me, it's the idea of not allowing the mind to be the master. Absolutely. It's, and that's yeah, that's a really good point because what good is a meditation that only works full blast when everybody's quiet and still? Right. Did somebody creak? I'm out of my <laughs> nirvana. <laughs> yeah. The practice of stillness and of, of patience and of calmness while you're in the most chaotic of situations, I think, is probably the most beneficial kind of meditation. Steiner also talks about, and this is kind of an alignment, you know, listening to people with whom you have uh, disagreements with. People that you know you disagree with, Mm. listen to them and then try not to have any reaction. Don't wait for your turn to talk. Don't wait to label or say why they're wrong. Just listen without reaction. And that goes, again, for whether you're in traffic or Mm -hmm. you're in a noisy classroom you know, meditation and, and a good experience interdimensionally in meditation will give you something to kind of latch on to. It'll give you a, a quick hook for yeah. when you're in those chaotic situations because you can recall your mental disposition of that meditation quite instantly. You can reactivate it by having had that experience recalling it. And uh, that will allow you to do a lot of things, including put up with people, but also handle uh, social situations and work situations to come out to desired ends. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times, you know, we're so caught up in our worries and our fears of things not happening. We don't realize that the worries and fears of things not happening are the reason why things aren't going to happen. Hmm. You are a creator. Your words, the power of life and death is in the tongue. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're speaking negative things, it's because it's in your heart. If it's in your heart, it's what's going to come about. Right. So whether or not you like the placebo effect, whether or not it feels too simple for you or not, deal with it. This is the way life works. Yeah. And life is that simple. You know, obviously it's easier said than done, controlling the thought. Yeah. But, you know, as long as we're just going to stop it, you know, good advice, you know, what good is that? Absolutely. You know, it might be simpler said than done. Uh, but it has to be done. There's no way around it. Nobody can think for you. And right. things won't improve if you ignore your thoughts. Absolutely. So, And I think it's powerful that you pointed out that we are creators. You know, we are co-creators. We're created in the image of a creator. 
And, you know, I hear people as a songwriter, a lot of people say, well, I'm just not a creative person. And I go, well, yeah, you are. You may not realize that you are, but you are creating all the time. You're creating with your thoughts. You're creating with your actions. You're creating all the time. So become aware of that yeah. and, and, and do good with what you're creating. Focus on it. You know, that's yes. that's the power of the mind and, and how we control our mind. And instead of letting negativity control us, we are the creators of our reality. Yeah. And one final thought before we say our goodbyes here is, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, they point out that one verse, you know, you are gods. It says it in the Old Testament. Hmm. Jesus says, you yourself say you are gods. He didn't say yeah. it's untrue. He's saying, but think with that. It's like if you were made in God's image, you know, and we don't think we think very little of this physical experience, but in the spiritual plane, what a physical human being is doing and everything, there's a lot of, you know, forces astrologically spiritual forces working through us beings that are being fed you know a butterfly effects which are you know flying off of every movement of the arm right you know it's very significant what you do and what you're thinking and feeling and i mean you are in god mode as far as that's concerned yeah you know you you're wielding a lot more spiritual power than we realize and that's why it's so devastating to find what we're going to find what we've created in this life in our ignorance after we die Mm -hmm. well anyway we're going to say uh, goodbye for now. Everybody, uh, friends, uh, listeners, uh, please go to spiritualrealities.net and f- follow us there. Follow the podcast, sign up for the newsletter, like and follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash spiritual realities. We're also newprecept.com and email me at robert at newprecept.com. And here's... You can check out more of the work that I'm doing in the world at threedayflight.com. That's where my wife and I make music. And we also make food here in Memphis. You can check that out at imagineveganCafe.com. Yep. And we're on Spotify, iTunes, and all that too. So we'll talk to you all next week.